You are listening to a podcast from gravitychurch.com, Lodi, California. It's a different group every week. It literally is um, something that we never know what we're going to get. And tonight we have a very special um, treat for you first-time visitors. Um, the downstairs bathrooms just flooded, and so they're out of commission. And it's in honor of our first-timers. We want you to know what this place really works like. You know, and we tell everybody that this building is a perfect demonstration of the redemption of Jesus in the life of broken people because it needs a lot of redeeming. And so we're continually working on it to try to bring it back from the dead, so to speak. So if you need to use the facilities... There is a single-use bathroom right back here in the coffee bar, and there are also men's and women's bathrooms down these stairs through the basement. Um, But the trick is that if you have to go and you get up, you have to go this way in front of all of us because if you go that way, it's flooded. So I don't know what to tell you. There's one right back there, so if there's a long line, it's all good. So welcome. Um, I'm not joking either. Welcome. Um, It's Easter tomorrow. It really, it's, I don't know about you guys, but Easter has always been one of those highlights for, um, for me growing up. Um, I would love to say that it's because it's the, the holy day of the year, but it really is because my mom always gave us these really fat Easter baskets with tons of candy in them, and you just loved it. Easter was just a highlight because you just had a sugar buzz forever, just knowing that, that this is what, you know, you, you got on Easter, but, you know, tonight is one of those nights where there quite literally could be some of you in this room that never even consider going to any kind of a religious service ever, except for on Easter. This is the big deal for churches. This is kind of our Super Bowl. This is when everybody, you know, rallies around and it's like, yeah, they're all coming, you know, and you see yard signs all over the place. It's like, we're going to get them. No, we're going to get them. You know, it's just this big deal. And it's really special, actually, when you think about it, that so much attention is centered around this event and around this day. And tonight, as we take a little glimpse at Easter and, and look at it from a little different angle, I just want to tell you that no matter who you are, no matter why you're here tonight, whether you are one of those annual attenders or whether you're somebody who knows and follows after the ways of Christ, um, Welcome here tonight because we're all in the same boat, so to speak. We all in our life are in a pursuit of something. Some of us like to call it different things. Some of us like to call it and label it different things. But at the end of the day, all of us are looking for something that's genuine. All of us are looking for something that will give our lives meaning. All of us are looking for the truth. Um, And nobody's exempt. Some of us are real deep thinkers, and we like to, to read books, and we're, in, we're real intellectual. Others of us are, you know, just have a cup of coffee and talk to somebody type people. But all of us are chasing after the real thing, the real deal. And so tonight, as we look at this, at this Easter event, I want us to look at it from a standpoint of, God, you show us what is legit, what is the real deal. What is something that will last, something that is genuine, something that will satisfy? Because I'm tired, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of living my life chasing after temporary things, things that just, they don't leave any kind of a lasting 
imprint on my life. I want something that's going to stay with me for a while. I want to share with you a story in Scripture, and it's a story that is right in the middle of the Easter story. And for those of you that don't have much background with the Bible or, or the story of Jesus, in a nutshell, I'll give you the, the real brief version, Christ came, and, and during this story that we're about to look at, he had come to the end of his time here on earth, and he had been in ministry, and he was famous around the parts where he lived, and people knew who he was, and he was a very polarizing individual. People either really gravitated towards him, or they completely rejected him. And as a matter of fact, he was so polarizing that, that the condition of the culture that they lived in, they had the religious rules, and then they had the legal system of the, of the state. And these two factions of people really called the shots of their day and age. And the religious leaders had a really hard time with Jesus because he didn't fit into their molds, he didn't fit into the way that they did things or the way that they, they wanted him to look. And so they got to the end of the rope, so to speak, with Jesus, and they said, we've got to do something about this guy because he's disrupting everything. And they, did, they actually decided that they wanted to put him out. They wanted to kill him. But their laws, their religious laws, didn't have any real authority to kill anybody. It sounds kind of morbid, but it's the truth. And so they concocted this crazy scheme that they would actually bring him before the legal system, and his name was Pilate, and he was actually the governor that was overseeing the whole area. And see, Pilate, he had the authority to put Jesus out. He had the power to kill him. And so these religious leaders come to Pilate, and they're like, this Jesus is a bad dude. And he's like, Ooh, okay. They're like, he's, he's, he's making all kinds of problems and you need to deal with him. And I want us to look at the story of Jesus standing before Pilate and answering some questions. These leaders brought him before Jesus and Pilate doesn't know exactly what to do with him, so he brings Jesus in and this is what he says. Then Pilate went back inside and he called for Jesus to be brought to him. He looked at him and said, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate asked? Your own people and their priests brought you here. Why? What have you done? And then Jesus answered, I am not an earthly king. If I were, my followers would have fought when I was arrested by the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate replied, you are a king then. Well, you say that I am a king, and you are right, Jesus said. I was born for that purpose, and I came to bring truth to the world. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And Pilate asked, what is truth? This is a really interesting story to me because at the core, at the core of this dialogue, at the core of this interaction before this, between this Jewish man, Jesus, and this governor is really the core question 
that you and I have to ask ourselves tonight. This question has been repeated over and over and over again for a long, long time. What is truth? Some of us here tonight, if we were to, if we were to answer that question ourselves, we would, we would answer it maybe by saying it's a, um, it's a set of beliefs. Maybe it's some kind of a moral code. It's, a, it's maybe a, a belief system and, and it, it leads the way that, that I do what I do. There's a lot of different thoughts about truth and what it is and what it isn't and what's real and what's not. In scripture, it talks about truth in a lot of different places and in a lot of different ways. But in this story right here, Jesus makes the most amazing claim that I've ever heard. He actually says that I came to this world to bring truth. Now, why would Jesus have to come to bring truth if we knew what truth really was, if we already had an idea of what was real and what was fake, if we already knew what was genuine, if we already knew what truth was, why would Jesus have to make this statement? The obvious is quite clear, actually, because we didn't know what truth was. You see, they lived with a moral code in this day. They lived with a very specific item-by-item way of doing life. They were wholly religious people. They weren't slackers. They didn't just do things off the cuff. They had a reason for why they did this and a reason why they did that, and they knew how to do it. But the thing that they were still missing in all of their religious exercises is the truth. See, the law couldn't teach it to them. The law couldn't give it to them. The law couldn't make it grab their heart. And you know why that is? Because the truth that they were looking for was not something to learn. The truth was someone to know. Truth was a person. Truth is found in God. See, I'm convinced as I read this story, as I read this this book, this novel, this, this incredible portrait of people's lives and of different events and of different sayings and of different poems and poetry and everything, it all points to one thing and one thing only, that God wants more than anything else to have a relationship with his creation, us. And in this day that Jesus lived, much like today that you and I live, The law was misinterpreting the love of God. The law portrayed an angry God that wanted to make our lives miserable. The law portrayed a God that was standing by waiting for somebody to screw up so that he could slap them and put them back into line. And Jesus said, I've got to come and bring the truth to the world. During this During this period of time, after this event with Pilate, Jesus goes on to actually be sentenced to death. See, this story is really intriguing because this governor, Pilate, 
found himself right in the middle of a political issue, really. And he has the authority to release Jesus and let him go. But he doesn't want to mess things up for his reelection. <laughs> Sound familiar? And so Pilate does what any good politician does. And he says, okay, if you guys think this guy's so bad, then let's do it. Crucify him. Execute him. Kill him. Put him away. And so Jesus begins to fulfill a prophecy that had been foretold for years and years and years of an innocent man, a perfect man, having to give his life in a way that was not pretty. And it happened. It happened just like it was foretold. He died the death of a criminal. In those days, it was barbaric what they used to do, but in those days, they actually used to construct a pole with a crossbar and they would nail or they would hang them out in the elements and they would let them just hang there until they died. Some would die of malnutrition and didn't have any water. Some of them, it was very grotesque, but actually birds would come and have their way with them. I mean, it was just unbelievably barbaric what they would do with these criminals to put them on display for the whole world to see. And the Bible says that Jesus died a sinless, a sinless death or a sin sinless man died a death of a criminal just like that. The beautiful thing about this is that before Jesus dies, he gets a moment with his friends. He gets a chance to tell them what's going to happen. He gets a chance to one last time explain his heart and explain the huge story of God that he was right in the middle of. He gets that opportunity and he sits down with his disciples and they have one final meal together. And in a little while, we're going to be able to take some of that final meal as a remembrance of Jesus. But in the middle of this final meal with them, he tells them, I know you're going to get scared. I know your world's about to crumble. I know everything is falling apart for you, but please hang on. And then he says this most amazing thing right in the middle of, of this whole dialogue that he's having with his friends in this final moment. And he says to them, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he'll tell you what he has heard. And he will tell you about the future. See, this story that Jesus was, was in the middle of and this, and this event that was happening is the, is, is the perfect analogy of something having to die so that the greater could, good could come. All of us understand the very, the very simple, naive example of putting a seed into the ground and then watching all of the life that can come out of it. A whole garden, a whole orchard can come from a single apple seed when you give it time and you give it the right things. And Jesus was telling his disciples that my life is going to be like that seed that goes into the ground. And when I die, your life is going to change forever because God is going to finally have the relationship with you that he has been dying for ever since he created you in the garden. He's been trying to redeem you. And so tonight, 
as we look at this Easter celebration, it's really this story of Jesus and he dies, but he doesn't stay there. See, the story of Easter that we're celebrating tomorrow morning is really the story that says that Jesus didn't stay in the ground after they they killed him. The story is that after three days, God filled him again with life and he came back from the dead. We've all heard the term resurrection. We maybe don't understand what that truly means, but resurrection at its core means to come back from the dead. It means that something was dead, but it was brought back to life again. It's just an incredible thought when you think about it that we are celebrating something that can change something from death and make it live again. There's all kinds of people, you can watch TV, you can watch all the programs, and there's all kinds of people that are on a quest for evidence or proof that Jesus really came back from the, from the dead. There's all kinds of stories, there's all kinds of, of opinions, and there's all kinds of different theories out there of what happened or what didn't happen. And I am not an intellectual person in the capacity to be able to disprove or prove to you any of those things. The only thing that I can give you as evidence of the resurrection is me. See, you don't know this about me, but at one time, I was a dead man walking. There was nothing good inside of me. And on the outside, it looked good. On the outside, I said the right things. On the outside, I I, I did the things that, that an upstanding citizen would, would do, but on the inside, well, what do you mean you were dead? You were breathing, you had a pulse, you had blood flowing through your veins. Yeah, all those things are true technically, but I did not know what was truth. I did not know what was real. I did not know what was genuine. I did not know God. I was missing something in my life. Jesus makes this statement about himself. Look at it up there. It says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die just like everyone else, they'll live again. They are given eternal life for believing in me and they will never, ever perish. In just a few moments, we're gonna listen to a song from Dave and and Terry. They're gonna come and they're gonna sing for us. They're going to talk about in this song how God comes alive in them, how someday they will rise. They will rise again. And then a few moments after that, many of you remember Pastor Dick and Edie. You guys remember Pastor Dick and Edie? Anybody? They're here with us tonight. Pastor Dick is going to lead us 
in the communion time together tonight. Share a few moments with us. It's so special for us to be able to come together this time of year and celebrate Easter. And I want to pray with you before we go any further. Would you bow your heads with me? God, tonight, as we open our hearts up to you, God, we thank you that we don't have to be formal. We don't have to be somebody that goes through a lot of different rituals and a lot of different motions to be able to get near you. God, we can come as we are. And so God, tonight, I pray that as we get ready to transition this time together into an opportunity to be able to celebrate the commemorative last supper that you gave, the Lord's Supper, communion. God, I pray that there's people here tonight that over the next few moments you would deal with their hearts and you would speak to them in a way that they would understand who you are and what you mean to them and what you can mean to them. And Lord, I pray that you would open them up by your Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. Speak to our hearts, God. Amen. It's a real joy to be able to be here tonight with you at this very wonderful time of the year when we remember that occasion when Jesus not only died, but was resurrected. He came forth from the grave, and that was what the reason that we are here tonight. If he had died and stayed in the grave, none of this would mean a thing. He had to come out of that grave to validate who he was and what his message was and what it meant. Sometimes I think when we partake of communion, we don't fully get it. It's easy to get caught up in the rituals of what we do. But what does it really mean? I really truly believe that communion is the love gift of Jesus Christ to us. He said, this is my gift to you, this do in remembrance of me. Take this. When the disciples were up in the upper room, Jesus held the cup. And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. What did that mean? I wonder if any of us really grasp what that meant. This is the new covenant in my blood. Well, this is a, I have to just brush over it. <laughs> because what it really means is that there was the spirit of life in him. He had within him the spirit of life that is eternal life. That had been lost 
back in the Garden of Eden. It was gone. And because it was gone, human beings are sinful beings. We're born sinful. We have inclinations that are wrong. We try to teach people to live right. I think every parent struggles with getting that message across to their children to behave in a way that's acceptable so they don't destroy themselves. And God tried to get that message across to humanity until the day would come when a transaction would be made so that the spirit of eternal life could be given to human beings. That we could become new creations in Christ Jesus. And that's what he was talking about. He was talking about the spirit of life that was in him. He was now putting in the cup. Now this was a temporary thing. He put it in the cup. And then he became sin for us. He who knew no sin took our sin upon himself and became the sin sacrifice for the whole wide world. And so he took that sin that was then became a part of him, but he had put the life in the cup. Then, after he was resurrected, he ascended into heaven. He made his offering to the Father. It's explained in the book of Hebrews. He made a, an acceptable sacrifice before the Father. And then, on the day of Pentecost, something was poured out on the church that was waiting in the upper room. That was the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was poured out upon the believers in that upper room. And the spirit of life came into the Christians. They now had within them the Holy Spirit's power, the spirit of eternal life. It was once in Jesus. Now it is available to all of us as we partake of the power of the Spirit of God. He gives it to us. That's a wonderful transformation that begins to happen in us. But all we have to do is accept the gift. That's the marvel of it all. I am not standing here tonight because I am good. I'm standing here tonight because he is good. <laughs> He's good. He has given his goodness to me. Nothing about my life is good enough to be pleasing to God except my acceptance of Jesus Christ. And so, sometimes we wonder about this thing called the love of God and I know there are some people who struggle with that concept that God would love them. Some of you may feel like you're not worthy of God's love. But it isn't how sinful we have been in our lives that matters to God. 
It's one simple thing. Will we accept the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ? That is God's love gift to the world. Jesus came. God's love gift to you. Sometimes we think about God and we wonder, how great is God? How, good, how great is he? Who, what kind of God is this? Is he really that great after all? Well, <laughs> he created everything. Scientists are constantly discovering new things. They just, this last week I heard the news, they made a, a new thing. I don't understand it all. But I know that it was, it, they did something that they thought maybe was going to really mess up the whole world. But it didn't. But they're excited because they're going to learn a lot of new things. And I heard a scientist talking about how great the expanse of creation is. And all that they're learning about it. <coughs> and I thought, that's our God that created all of that. That's the God we serve. And he's great. He's beyond our comprehension, the power. But here's the important thing. The Bible says, God is love. God is love. And so, if we can't fathom the greatness of God and the enormity of God, and we can't, then we can't understand love either because God is love. God is love. And as great as God is, is his love for us, his love for you, his love for me. We are important to God. And he has a future that is so exciting. And so tonight as we come to receive communion, Various locations, I guess over here and at the end of the two pews in the middle. There are cups and there's bread. And Jesus said, this is my body that was broken for you. This is my blood that was shed for you. That's his gift of love. Because Jesus takes away all the guilt, all the sin. We don't come because we are good. We come because He is good. We don't come because we're worthy. We come because we're accepting His worthiness and His love for us and His salvation and His redemption. The most wicked thing a human being can do is to say no to God's love gift. That's the most wicked thing anyone can possibly do. So let's come and receive tonight. You've been listening to GravityChurch.com.